Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. As we prepare for calves arrival on dairy farms this spring, dairy specialist George Ramsbottom reminds us of best practice in calf rearing to promote health and performance in early life. In colostrum collection, uh, Emma Louise, best practice is, you know, fairly quick uh, removal of colostrum into a clean container from a clean cow uh, after she calves. And the reason for that is because we notice a rapid decline in immunoglobulin, immunoglobulin content in cow's milk after the calf is born. The immunoglobulins are the antibodies effectively that, that protect the calf after it's born. So quick removal, uh, then the calf is fed the equivalent of around eight and a half percent of its birth weight. So that's typically three litres of fluid of the colostrum, that first milking, as soon as it's born. And that gives us its best chance uh, for uh, to achieve a high level of immunity called passive immunity after it's born. And it'll, it'll prevent it or help prevent it from uh, acquiring a lot or becoming ill with a lot of diseases that are typically uh, pre- prevalent in uh, calf houses in, in early spring. And you mentioned passive transfer, or active passive transfer. For measurement or evidence on farms, is the colostrum feeding successful? Yeah, so, well, first of all, in terms of how, how we evidence to show that if calves are properly administered the correct volume of uh, colostrum, that, that it does uh, improve both health and um, both health and immune levels. And absolutely, the evidence is there. We do zinc sulfate tests to look at the antibody content of calf blood. And we know from the evidence from the district veterinary offices that when they do PMs on calves, that typically calves that die are less, have less uh, immunoglobulins or have low level of antibodies to protect them after they're born. So feeding the correct quantity of, of colostrum works really, really well at preventing infections in calves. It can be assessed then using a BRICS refractometer and we're looking there for a target of 50 grams of immunoglobulin per litre of colostrum. So there's a kind of a level there that you're looking for. And most cows will calve down with that level unless they're being poorly fed in the last couple of weeks prior to calving. So feeding the cow reasonably well, good quality silage or whatever, prior to calving will help to boost immunoglobulin levels and pass the best quality colostrum onto the newborn calf. And then when we look to um, the feeding of colostrum, in a lot of scenarios, a cow calves, say, for example, in the middle of the night or in the middle of the in the middle of the day um, outside of milking times, they're going to be fed colostrum that's not necessarily directly from the dam. So if we think about a fresh colostrum product or frozen, if we start with fresh, what is what are your tips in terms of management of that colostrum? OK, so tip number one is. Uh, cool it as quickly as possible. So it's put in a container and put in a fridge at four degrees or less than four degrees Celsius. In that situation, our analysis shows that it can remain, you know, very high quality for up to 48 hours. So that's the first thing. If it's left in a bucket in the corner and fed to the calves as they're born, uh, very quickly it'll deteriorate, particularly as the weather warms up in March and April. So the quicker it's chilled and it can be the quicker it's chilled, the better, and it can be stored for 48 hours. That's the first point. Uh, the second point, then, is when we're talking about frozen colostrum, uh, that needs to be thawed slowly if it's been used to feed the calf. 
And what I mean by that is it's thawed at a temperature of less than 50 degrees Celsius. If it's thawed at a much higher temperature, and typically people would throw it into a bucket and put boiling water in on top of, on top of the flask or container that has the colostrum. In that scenario, it'll lose a lot of its immunoglobulins. Immunoglobulins are proteins. They're very same as um, the albumin in, in an egg is. And you know well that when you put an egg into boiling water to poach it, uh, it'll go hard or the, uh, the immunoglobulins or the proteins that it contains will be denatured. And if, if the colostrum is thawed at too high a temperature, it'll lose its ability to protect the calf. The immunoglobulin quality is, is deteriorated very quickly. So thaw it slowly at 50 degrees if you're going to freeze it. And should uh, colostrum be fed um, at a, a warm heated temperature or is cold colostrum okay? Well, let's put it this way. Cold colostrum is better than nothing. In an ideal world, the best method of transferring the correct quantity of, of immunoglobulins is to feed a warm colostrum, uh, but get the calves to suck it. That's the ideal scenario. Sucking will actually increase the absorption of the antibodies as well. So in an ideal world, we're talking about uh, a calf being allowed to teed feed uh, a teed feed and a bottle we're talking about to make sure we get the correct quantity in. The next best scenario is warm colostrum stomach tubes. The next best scenario is uh, stomach tubing of cold colostrum. So better warm and better teed fed. They're, they're the kind of things we talk about. And the teat fed is interesting, George, because in a lot of scenarios, you know, we, we, we have seen increased um, herd size and a lot of people are choosing to stomach tube as a method of ensuring that they get it in and they're getting it in at a faster pace. But as you say, best practice, you are looking at uh, teat feeding. In an ideal war, look, where there's large numbers involved in this time constraints, better to stomach tube than to take a chance on the calf acquiring enough uh, colostrum itself or ingesting enough but because in reality we know that where calves are left to their own devices they they don't generally consume enough to give them good protection naturally from the cow so, so feeding the calf is the, is the much preferred option uh, either by teeth or by tube. Looking then to some other elements of um, management of calves at a young age and disbudding being one of them mm. what is the ideal timing of disbudding of calves? So you know, relatively early is where we start. So what do I mean by relatively early? Preferably younger than four weeks and preferably younger than two weeks of age. Now, sometimes in, in younger, in smaller cows in particular, they may not, uh, the horn may not have grown enough to disbud them within two weeks. What's, what's, we're, we're running a series of calf care events. We'll come on to that later on. But in that series of calf care events, we'll have veterinary speakers talking about the use of anesthetic and analgesics. Uh, we know that a calf older than two weeks of age by law, it needs an anesthetic for the dehorning of those calves. And the research would show that the, any calf that receives an anesthetic and an analgesic uh, at the time of disbudding, those calves recover much more quickly from the disbudding process. Less than two weeks of age, it's not mandatory to ad administer an anesthetic. Between two and four weeks of age, the farmer can administer the anesthetic himself. Above four weeks of age, by law, a veterinary surgeon is required to administer the anaesthetic. So do it early and do it thoroughly is, is what our recommendation is. Use anaesthetics and use analgesics as well to uh, prevent the inflammation after and, and can give a longer term pain relief to the calf. And while it isn't necessarily by law um, or, um, something that you must do at less than two weeks of age, but is that recommended also? It's, it's considered best practice at this, at this stage by veterinary practitioners 
because it speeds up the, the kind of the recovery and resumption of normal normal functioning of the calf if it's um if it's correctly anesthetized at, irrespective of the age at which it's dehorned. And and talk through the procedure to administer the anesthetic. So the the anesthetic is administered um uh, at a point halfway between the base of the ear and the corner of the eye. There's a little bony ridge there called the frontal bone and a five eight inch needle is inserted up to its hub at that point. And as it's being withdrawn, the last little bit of, of anesthetic is administered to create a kind of a localized um, a localized anesthetic in the skin area as well. So you're you're trying to get the, the nerves there to numb them and take the pain away from it. Um, and that, that's how it's administered. Um, and Emma Louise. So it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a detailed process. Again, it'll be covered and there are diagrams in the booklet that we're producing for the calf care events that will illustrate uh, how best to do it. And it'll be, it'll be described thoroughly on the day by the, the vets who are speaking on that subject. And also, I guess, um, you know, the local vet will be available to, to give recommendations and provide the appropriate products. Correct. Um, for, More than willing, for I'm sure. calf disbudding. Correct. Another um, thing, George, to to look at, um, you know, we'd be familiar with bloat in cows, but right. in the spring of 2021, there were many complaints or, you know, comments from farmers of incidents of bloat in young calves. Um, what is the perfect storm for bloat to arise in those young calves? OK, I... I... I, I run uh, run a lot, run a lot of online uh, discussion group meetings with with uh, farmer groups and their and their advisors in the spring gone by, and I'm amazed at the number of farmers that talked about uh, observing bloating and losing calves in the spring with bloat. It's amazing. I suppose it's quite different to say like bloating cows uh, caused by uh, clover or whatever the story is. It's a different sort of bloat. It's a blo- It's a bloat typically, not always, but typically of the abomasum which is the, the main stomach that's used in the calf's early life. Uh, it's not the rumen, it's the abomasum, it's the true stomach, it's where blow tends to build up. And, and typical scenarios where, where it occurs is, will be in situations where there's a, a readily from excess, an excessive quantity of, an, of a readily fermentable carbohydrate, typically kind of meeky, sugary type products going into the, into the calf. It'll occur in situations where the there's a delay in the emptying of the abomasum so that it's sitting around for a long time. And it'll be caused in those situations where there's a bit of dirt around, maybe less than hygienic um, calf feeding equipment would be typical. That, that sort of equipment will, will, will seed the abomasum with the bacteria that cause uh, bloat. So you have a, a dirty environment or a less than hygienic environment. You have things that will slow down uh, emptying of the abomasum and an excessive amount of a, of a, um, a fermentable carbohydrate type substance in the room. And typically things like milk would be the real thing that can cause that. Large volumes of cold milk will do it now, no problem at all. And clinical signs, George, that farmers should be aware of is if this is a problem that's about to present itself this spring. Well, I, I'll tell you an example of, of a farm where it occurred on now. A farmer I know pretty well. He rang, the farmer in question rang me. Uh, he'd been talking to his vet and the vet, between the two of them, were quite perplexed about the symptoms they were seeing. Calves are going completely off milk, wouldn't drink. They were kicking their stomachs. They didn't seem to be terribly distended. In other words, they weren't bloated up terribly much. Uh, that wasn't terribly... You'd see things like teeth grinding going on, salivation, a couple of calves found dead. In, 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 this, in that scenario, there were 120 calves born on the farm. I think eight of them died. Uh, 
was as if the whole room and, and everything or the whole stomach and, and the, the digestive system kind of just completely stopped and the calf died in a day or two. And when the calves were examined, they had a kind of a, a buildup of a kind of curdy stuff in, in, their, in their stomach. And it was it's typical abomasal bloat was occurring in those farms, typical. So things like you're getting that whole uh, reduced intake, you're getting teeth grinding, salivation, the calf being very uncomfortable, uh, signs of colic, uh, and if there is abomasal, abdominal distension, it'll be on the right-hand side, typically in cases of abomasal bloat. So it's an, an often sudden death as well. Two of the calves of the eight calves that died in that farm died of, a, of sudden death. They're just found dead. No, no other symptoms at all. So really strange sort of symptoms. But eventually we, we narrowed it down to um, abomasal bloat in that particular farm. So naturally, you t- talk about in the perfect storm, it can be things like, um, you know, a hygiene issue with the calf feeders. So naturally, if you can keep the, the calf feeders and the living environment clean, you know, that will reduce the uh, the potential risk of avamazel bloat. But you also mentioned the, um, you know, the fermentable carbohydrates sitting in the avamazel. If you offered water, is that something that would keep the the milk uh, flowing through the abomasum and reduce the risk of bloat. We'll just go back there to the, the clean bit first or the hygiene bit first. You won't get bloat if there isn't seed, if there isn't something, uh, a bacteria in the abomasum that'll cause bloat. You'll get you'll get the uh, you'll get bloat or abomasal bloat if there are bacteria. Bacteria first of all need to be present to create that bloat. They create beta toxins they produce a gas. They can produce it if the, if the equipment is hygienic because if the equipment is, high, is maintained in a very hygienic manner, well, then the, the bacteria won't be in a high concentration in the, in the abomasum starting off. The second thing then has to do with the, with the uh, water access. We need clean, hygienic water available to them. If water is available to them, it'll allow them to regulate the osmolality or the liquidity of the material that's in there abomasum and they'll pass the fl- the fluids that they have in their stomach in their abomasum through quicker in the presence of clean water if water is dirty or contaminated it'll be much less of it will be will be consumed by the calves and therefore you're increasing the risk of abomasal bloat occurring and George, you have mentioned the calf care events and this is the time of year for it and Chagas, in conjunction with Animal Health Ireland and Volac, open up dairy farms to discuss be- best practice in calf rearing. What can you tell us about this year's event? This is year 12 of our running calf care events and typically we'll, we'll have attendances in the order of 1,500 to 2,000 people at around 12 events and this year we're, we're going to run uh, 13 events. Now, uh, they're run by Chagask and the AHI, the Animal Health Ireland, and we're sponsored by Volac, but couldn't be run without the co-ops from all around the country. Our first event will take place on uh, Monday, the 10th of January in County Cork, in Berings in County Cork. And our last event will take place right up in the north, uh, west of the country, on Thursday, the 27th of January in Killygarden in County Donegal. So they'll be run right around the country. There'll be plenty of advertising done over the next couple of weeks. And the four key topics that will take place will be around calf housing, around colostrum quality, around bloating calves and pain management. So looking forward to those events. When I look back over the years, M. Louise, what I can see is you can see uh, in the early years, we focused an awful lot on, you know, keeping calves alive. So we were back to the one, two, three of colostrum. 
Now, what's happened over the years is we've seen a gradual increase in uh, or a gradual reduction in mortality in calves to the extent now that a recent study from Holland showed that uh, a significant uh, decline in mortality or an improvement in health status of calves that were purchased into veal units in February and March. And what they discovered was that those calves were actually uh, the calves uh, taken in in February and March are actually coming from Ireland. So the Irish calves have a higher health status than nearly anywhere in Europe, which is a reflection of the good work being done by farmers over the last decade or so. And our ability to our ability as farmers to take on the messages are around best practice that are coming through and, and hats off to the farmers of the country for doing so. I suppose where the events have moved over those years, Emma Louise, is there's a, a greater awareness of the importance of things like you know, high standards of, of animal welfare and pain relief and calf management, they've all crept in uh, to our topics over the years. And you, with the interest that's there, you can see there's huge support and huge um, good intent by people to rear calves better. And uh, look, it's, it's a huge, it's a hugely important um, uh, topic and issue for Irish dairy farmers. And the reason for that, I suppose, is because we're dependent on the sale of about a third of the beef calves born on Irish farms. These are the surplus, these are the bull calves, Frisian bull calves or dairy bull calves and beef uh, breed calves. About a, there's about a little over a million calves born that are not dairy heifers on, on farms each year. About a third of them are retained on the farm of origin and reared there. Sometimes they're, they're um, brought through to finish and more times they're sold as stores or weanlings. About a third are sold to other farmers, but a third of them are also uh, exported off farm. And it's hugely important that for all three categories, a high standard of, of um, management, of animal welfare and health is, is maintained in ensuring the calves uh, uh, have a, you know, a healthy and um, trouble-free life. And it starts with their birth. I think that's a, a great note to finish on, Georgia. And the, the, the statistics you talk about, the reduction in calf mortality, is it can't be overemphasized. And uh, it is something that we would have spoken previously uh, to Podrick French about. The, you know, the, the trend is downward in terms of mortality on dairy farms. And it's demonstrating the, the huge amount of work that is being done by dairy farmers in taking care of their animals and you know at this time of year they tend to take more care of their animals than they do themselves um, and you know hugely commendable um, we look forward to the calf care events across the country in the coming weeks thank you George thank you very much Emma Louise that's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to George Ramsbottom for joining me on this week's show don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.